More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Second hour, Clay and Buck kicks off right now. And let's let's talk about something that I think is going to be one of the primary uh, issues and concerns of the entire 2024 election cycle. Going to affect not just the presidential race, but key Senate races, congressional races, um, because people realize now that, as the phrase has become more popular, every state is a border state, every town is a border town. When you have... Over 6 million illegal entries into the country in less than four years. It'll probably be 7 or 8 million by the time we find out who the next president is and and who has control of the Congress, uh, the next Congress. Uh, When you're looking at numbers like that, everyone recognizes, or rather anyone who's paying attention, recognizes how big a challenge it is and how big of a problem it is for the country. But let's let's put some numbers to this, Clay, because there's there's a bunch of data that has just come out in recent days. And actually, here is a Fox. Let's start with this one. This is cut 20, a Fox business reporter um, who has done the math on what does it cost the U.S. As you're thinking about, I'm already starting to think about, oh, gosh, I got to start pulling together all my stuff to file taxes for next year because it takes forever. because It's so complicated. What are we paying in this country? What are you paying as the price for everything you need goes up all the time? What are you paying for illegal immigrants? Play 20. We have new numbers, a new report from the U.S. House Committee on Homeland Security Majority. They say the price tag per year is $451 billion. That is both for the housing and care of the asylum seekers as well as those known godaways. So we're looking at half a trillion pretty much getting pretty close there that that seems like seems like a big deal clay and what i think is so funny is uh not funny but interesting is that the the way the daily mail british uh news site posed what texas has done they said texas spent a staggering 86 million dollars bussing migrants to new york city chicago philadelphia los angeles and dc meanwhile places like new york city which only got a fraction of the migrants 
are spending $4 billion a year, $12 billion over three years, is the New York City official projection for illegal immigrants, their cost, their housing. And they're saying, oh, Texas spent $80 million? Yeah, I'd much rather have my state budget get hit for $80 million and not have to worry about the problem than have to spend $4 billion. We're, you know, we're not big numbers, guys, but these numbers are pretty easy. Yeah, the math isn't that hard uh, to uh, to add up when it's going out as opposed to coming in. And you know this is becoming a political albatross for Joe Biden, Buck, because I read a story, I think on Sunday, maybe it was yesterday, saying that there's quiet momentum to basically end the asylum rules yes. and start to modify them so that you can't just claim asylum and immediately get into the country. I- and that is a sign of how politically toxic this is for Joe Biden and his administration. The piece in the Wall Street Journal I think you're referring to, I have it in front of me. Senator's top target in border talks, tighter asylum rules for migrants. This is what I've been pounding the table about here, not just on this show, for years. Because people will talk about, they'll talk about border security and they'll say the wall and they'll say we need more border patrol agents, got to stop the fentanyl, got to deal with the cartels. All of that is true, but if people can show up at our border, flag down Border Patrol. This is people need to understand. We're, the gotaways are a separate issue. The drug cartel, drug smuggling, that's, that's a separate related, but a separate issue. Most of the people that are doing illegal entry show up and say, Hi, I have a fear of persecution in my home country, and I want asylum. And that is it. That's all they have to do. And then they get processed. They get led into the country. Maybe they get a ticket to appear. Maybe they don't. They just told to check in to some immigration facility on their own. And they just disappear into the American interior. If you don't change that, Clay, nothing else we do with the border matters. You can build a hundred. You could have a, you know, a, a wall, a moat. You could have all the drones and security imaginable. If you can get waved down and say, hey, guys, I'm at a port of entry. I'm just going to walk in now and you're going to give me asylum or just find a place where there's, you know, a a space in the wall or whatever, um, then it doesn't change. Democrats realize this, to your point. Washington Post uh, published just a few days ago an op-ed just with some of the numbers here um, showing that Democrats are very concerned about this one. But I'll just give you this. 53% 53% of New York Democrats say that New York has done enough for migrants and needs to stop the flow of New York Democrats. Yeah. Well, that this is where you know that it's a major issue when Eric Adams and uh, in New York City and when you've got uh, uh, all of these different big city mayors suddenly lining up. Muriel Bowser, I think, is the mayor of Washington, D.C., lining up and saying, this isn't working for us, we've got to fix it. And we I don't think we even hardly talked about this on the program very much, Buck, but how about the fact that Eric Adams, who has been probably the biggest outspoken opponent to the migrant situation in America, big city mayor, got uh, his top campaign fundraiser rated on the day he was supposed to speak about the migrant crisis in D.C., he cancels everything. Then the FBI seizes his phones and his iPad as a part of an investigation into whether or not he's received improper campaign donations from Turkey. This, to me, again, 
it's not even Biden just weaponizing his Department of Justice against the political party in opposition to him. It's also anyone inside the Democrat Party who raises any sort of issues with the way this thing is going. But you're starting to see in the numbers, we talked about the polls earlier for Joe Biden, one of the real issues that Biden has is he's hemorrhaging minority support. Uh, Black, uh, Asian, Hispanic, they are leaving the Democrat Party, according to these polls, at at levels that we have not seen before. And much of it, I think, Buck, is in Chicago and in New York City and in Washington, D.C., and in a lot of these big cities that are overloaded with migrants, minorities are looking around and saying, wait a minute, you're spending billions of dollars on illegal immigrants and our communities aren't taken care of. That's a conflict. Again, it's the identity politics coalition of the Democrat Party coming into uh, direct conflict with each other, and you have to pick a side. It's white liberals in rich Democrat enclaves of the country who are the open borders people. They're the ones who want the open borders uh, overwhelmingly. They'll they'll fund organizations that maybe have somebody who you know is like a, a Latino spokesperson or something to help with border communities, whatever it may be. But they ultimately, it is the Pelosi's and the Schumer's of the world who want open borders. And let's be honest, they want it because the donor class wants it. They want um, they're on board with this. But to your point about about minority support for it, um, a lot of minorities, I think, rightly. I mean, when I say minorities, black Americans, Latino Americans and and, you know, other groups you could put in the same on the same side of this are looking at. You're spending billions of dollars. People aren't even supposed to be in the country legally, right? And I think some immigrants, too, even realize, hold on a second. I went through some process. I had to wait years. I had to pay immigration lawyers. I could have just said, oh, I'm scared to be in my home country. Is it true or not? Who cares? I think lying should matter, by the way. Lying to federal officials is actually a crime. Just I, I know we only enforce laws very selectively now in, in the new era of America we're in. But, you know, Social Security card uh, presentation fraud uh signing documents that say you're a citizen or that you're legally working here. These are all crimes. Lying to immigration officials at the border, that's a crime. Entering the U.S. without permission, crossing our, our federal uh, boundary at the southern border, that's a crime. These are all violations of law. Why are we not supposed to care? I'm supposed to pay my taxes, but all the illegal stuff that's going on with immigration, that's supposed to be fine. Based on what? Based on the uh, the power needs of Democrats? I, I don't sign on to that one. I, I can't say that's okay with me. I also wonder to what extent, you know, Trump did everything that the Republican Party brain trust said he should not do in 2016, and he won. And not only did he win, he's increased his minority support as people have become more uh, aware of him and aware of his policies. 2020, now 2024, uh, I think the numbers are reflecting that if Trump's the nominee, he will have more minority support than maybe any Republican has ever had uh, among black voters, for instance, and and certainly Hispanic vote is uh, is increasing. I wonder if if Democrats, Buck, ever start to look back at these uh, at these numbers because here's the reality of yeah, can why. I, they can I give you some of the numbers yeah. real real quick? Yeah. I mean, because the Washington Post wrote this op ed, and this is why they're at least they at least have to make the noise. This always happens in election cycles. Democrats go, we care about the border too, and okay, maybe it is kind of they start they start pivoting a little bit toward the center because the country. All the polling shows this. 
The country is not with them on this open border stuff. They lie about it. They try to come up with polls like, oh, do you like immigrants or not? Well, that's not what the issue is. The issue is illegal immigration at our southern border. That's a violation of law and an exploitation of asylum. Okay, majority of Democrats. Okay, this is a Fox News poll. But early this month, the majority of Democrats very concerned about border security. Uh, Quinnipiac polling this month, 71% of independents and 30% of Democrats disapproved of Biden's handling of immigration. I say, okay, only 30% disapprove of Biden overall on this. 71% of independents? That's a rough number for these Democrats going into the election year. Even 30% of your own political party disapproving of your position on something. I mean, I think the numbers reflect that immigration is the single weakest of all of Joe Biden's policies in terms of independence and national response. And so that's why they're trying to uh, figure out a way to take action on what's going on in our southern border. The challenge, and as you well know, Buck, the challenge here is, will anything get passed? Who knows? Um, and the problem is, it takes months for the, uh, the, the action to have consequences in terms of border flow. And in the meantime, we've got 8 million people across the border. I do think... One of the ultimate plays here has been all of these people are going to come to the country and they're likely Democrat voters, and this will guarantee that we win elections long into the future. I, I don't think there's any doubt that that is the calculus behind why these open border policies are in many ways embraced. The challenge is, what if that calculus is wrong? What what if really the population is increasing and the numbers are roughly staying the same in terms of Hispanic support for uh, Democrats and Republicans? Heck, what if as Hispanics live in the country, they become more conservative? Uh, I'm talking about legal immigrants because they look around and they say there's a lot of craziness in the Democrat Party right now. Um, and I think it's going to take at some point a this is my theory and I've had this theory for a while. The identity politics coalition of the Democrat Party is not sustainable. At some point, it's going to explode and feed on itself. Maybe Israel, the situation there, is starting to accelerate that. Um, but certainly, we had already seen minority voters fleeing before we even got to this situation. And I think the border is a big reason why. I hope so. We do get excited about this stuff, I feel like, every election cycle and There'll probably be some nonprofit that comes forward that's like, we're going to win. We're going to win the black American vote this year as Republicans, or we're going to get, you know, 65% of Latino vote. And I'm just saying it never somehow never materializes, but maybe this time around uh, we'll actually make some headway and it'll make the difference. That would be nice. There's no denying the impact that AI has had in such a short amount of time between the smart devices we have in our homes, the first autonomous vehicles and advanced diagnostic tools in the healthcare industry. It's safe to say AI isn't going anywhere. Tech expert Colin Tedards believes this is the beginning of a new era that could make you rich. He's been writing about AI for quite some time now. When the market hit rock bottom a year ago this month, Colin recommended shares of a top software company. That software company is up over 200% since then. And anyone who listened to Colin had a chance to more than double their money in less than a year. But now he's recommending a new AI company that he says could do even better. And he says he's found a way for you to profit from this new AI project right from your brokerage account. Go to newaiproject.com. That's newaiproject.com to learn more. Newaiproject.com. Paid for by Brownstone Research.
Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go, like, how do I detach from my this idea of, what do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know... Okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. One of the big topics we've been discussing, frankly, for a couple of years plus on this show now, is the toxicity of identity politics. And I think a lot of you out there listening, maybe you hadn't really noticed it. Maybe you weren't even listening to the show because we've certainly added a lot of people uh, as listeners over the nearly three years now that Buck and I have been doing uh, this program together for all of you. And The View had an interesting discussion. You may have noticed that all these organizations that defend women, not only are they always silent on men identifying as women and becoming women's sports champions, isn't it interesting that no women's groups ever demean or uh or or attack or in any way comment on the idea of a man identifying as a woman becoming a woman of the year what about all the awful sexual assaults the rapes the depredations that have been inflicted upon israeli women by hamas there's been no condemnation by any of these ostensible women's rights groups And our good friends at The View, led by Whoopi Goldberg, 
had a discussion about that silence, and here's what Whoopi had to say. I am still devastated. We're two months since this war has been underway by the silence from women's group in this country about the rape being used as an act of war in this attack. Yeah. The fact that sexual violence was used against Israeli women in the major women's groups in this country have not come out and denounced it. This weekend, Sheryl Sandberg put out a gripping video calling for it. That violates every rule of warfare. It is the height of immorality and the fact that the United Nations entity for gender equality and women empowerment has been silent. The UN Committee on Elimination of Discrimination Against Women has been silent. And the international Me Too movement has perhaps, had a Perhaps the reason they've been silenced is for the same reason that you just described. They don't want to exacerbate. Well, they don't want to exacerbate. That's, oh. that's, del that's delusional. First of all, good, good for Alyssa yes. Farah for bringing this up. Um, a couple things, Clay. One is that the, uh, the leftist institutional fem the institutional feminist left is a fraud the institutional feminist left is a fraud trust me as somebody who was walking around in afghanistan not too long ago watching women in burqas everywhere and wondering hey hold on a second where where's all the international feminist coalitions on this issue never mind all the horrible things they can do to women in afghanistan this is before the taliban took over by the way but you know put that aside for a moment any muslim country by the way where women are oppressed which is basically all muslim countries you know they won't talk about that but I think she hit something. I want to come back to this, Clay. Uh, she she touches on a very important point, which is as we're now being told to gauge the morality of the Israeli response vis-a-vis -vis what happened from the mass casualty terror attack of of Hamas. Um, okay, well let let's actually have that conversation. There, as I said yesterday, there's only one side that kidnaps four year olds and terrorizes them and uses them as leverage by threatening to murder them in negotiations. There's only one side here. Israel between Israel and Hamas that engages in systematic rape campaigns to terrify people. It's not the Israelis. They can't speak out, Buck, because the wrong people are bad. And again, this is what happens when the Identity Politics Coalition collapses. Credit to the view for actually pointing that out for their audience. Can't believe it. Uh, team at My Pillow, they're really proud of new line of towels. No surprise, they're called the My Towels. They're all about comfort. If you need a new set of towels in your home, now's the time. My Pillow has them at fifty percent off what they normally sell for. You can check out the colors. You can check out the difference between the regular set and the designer line. All you have to do is go online to MyPillow.com. You can get a six-piece set for an amazing introductory sell price as low as twenty-nine ninety-eight. With our names, Clay and Buck, as the promo code, designer line, just 20 bucks more no matter what set you decide on, 50% in savings. You can also get a 60-day money-back guarantee. To get the offer, just go to MyPillow.com, click on the Radio Listener Special Square, check out the new My Towel six-piece towel sets, 50% in savings. Remember, enter that promo code Clay and Buck one more time, MyPillow.com, promo code Clay and Buck. So we're talking about the the big debate, global debate that is uh, happening every day now over the Israeli response to Hamas's October seventh mass casualty terror attack, mass murder and mass rape terror attack, and and I do think uh, that does not get brought into the conversation enough. Um, I I appreciate that Douglas Murray made the point. And this went very viral. We played this for you on the show that it, it is a historical fact that there were there were high level Nazis who recognized 
that what they were doing was evil. They still did it. There's this is not in any way mitigating um, the evil of what they did, but they recognized the evil. And so some of them had to turn to extremely high levels of drinking. They would have to get very, very drunk before they would do some of the executions. Again, Doug Murray talked about this, and we played that clip for you on the show. And you can then compare that with the reports and the audio of Hamas terrorists calling their parents to say, I just cut the head off of a Jew. I'm a hero now. I mean, true, vile psychopathy that is not only uh, celebrated by members of Hamas, but there's broad support for Hamas inside of Gaza, which you will also not hear very much now. These are uncomfortable truths, but these are realities as well. And if you've seen some of the videos of the Israeli hostages being taken away to be traded and the uh, way that people on the street in Gaza um, respond to this, you know, they're basically act like uh you know they're they're an angry jeering mob at these hostages who have been taken so piers morgan who sometimes says things that i agree with sometimes says things that i think are very dumb and i would say that to him if he were here on the show we'll probably have him on at some point occasionally he's right sometimes he's a buffoon um, or i should say his opinions i feel are deeply ignorant and very wrong buffoon is you know that's a little unfair um, here he he's is. He's not though. an unintelligent guy. That's what I mean. That's correct. Yeah. I think he's deeply wrong on some things. I'm not saying he's a dumb guy. Um, but I think he's right on some things too. We've played when he's right. Here he is though. He's asking a question. I think we should try to answer this question about when is Israel going too far? Play seven. I've been picked up this weekend by people reminding me of tweets from 2014. Back then, Israel launched a massive bombardment of Gaza in response to the murder of three Israeli teenagers in the West Bank. What happened, I'm asked. Why did I change my position? Well, I haven't changed my position. Israel committed atrocities in 2014, in my estimation. It was a completely disproportionate response to what had happened. It looked more like revenge to me than a military strategy. And President Obama told them to call it off. Well, during that bombardment, I asked, at what point does Israel's current military strategy become the very terrorism it professes to be fighting? And today, I'm beginning to ask myself that exact same question. Now, Clay, this I could I could cite another British voice on this one who has since passed away, Christopher Hitchens, who, while again wrong on some things, understood the threat of radical Islam very well, and said that the root fallacy in the fight against radical Islam is that the fighting against terrorism is the cause of it, and that this is very popular on the left. You'll often see this: this leftist in this country, college campuses, leftists in the media. You know, they'll say, "Well, for every terrorist we kill, we create a hundred more." For example, well, what are we supposed to do then? What What is the response supposed to be when they invade your country effectively and rape and murder to the greatest degree they possibly can civilians? Then we go to the negotiating table and say, you know what? We're going to send you more aid. We're going to give you more money. No, you have to go and kill them. Elon Musk just visited Israel. Here's what he says. Cut six. He understands this moment. There are three things that need to happen uh, in, in the Gaza situation. I mean, there's no choice but to kill those who insist on uh, murdering civilians. There's exactly. no choice. Um, they're not going to change their mind. But And then the second thing is to change the, the education so that an, a new generation of, of murderers is not trained to be murderers. And then, the, and then the third thing, which is also very important, is to try to build prosperity. 
He's basically saying you got to fix Gaza, and it's on Gaza to be fixed because the the rot stretches far beyond Hamas. But Clay, to to the question Piers Morgan asks, uh, or that, that he's raising, when does Israel when does the Israeli response become terrorism? It becomes terrorism when Israel decides they're going to kill as many civilians as they possibly can, which they don't do. So it is yeah. not terrorism. No, you're 100 percent right, and. I think it's important to point out that Elon Musk is being characterized as an anti-Semite and that there are a lot of different brands that are pulling their advertising off of Twitter because he has been unwilling to uh, tiptoe up to the truth here, which is good and evil exists. And I, I think maybe this is, you know, I had this conversation with, some people around Thanksgiving, I hope some of you did with your kids and your grandkids. The illusion that everything is gray. That is, there is no black and white. There is no good and evil. Has, I think, taken over much of the United States. And I think it's because, by and large, and I'm curious if you would agree with this thesis, Buck, most Americans, thankfully, do not experience evil in our day-to-day life. Most. Now, occasionally you or your close relatives, your friends, your family, may be a victim of some sort of violent crime. And you may, for a pinprick of time, stare into what it is to see evil in this country. But I think most Americans... We have created a society, particularly if you are wealthy or you are upper middle class, where actual evil doesn't exist in your life. And kids need to buy into the idea, I think, that they are on the side of truth and justice. That's part of growing up, that you are going to fight for a cause. And the cause isn't actually anything in the good and evil realm it's oh my goodness somebody has a different opinion than me on social media and so they aren't able to even recognize evil when well, they well, see that, it which is scary that's the critical point because when you said that they they don't believe that there's evil no no they just don't recognize what is evil and have yes. replaced it with fashions and uh widespread trends and 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 sort of a mass delusion theory about things like you know you're you're literally committing genocide they will say against trans people by negating their transition or negating their you know their gender pronouns i mean this is crazy they believe this you're actually helping bring about the end of humanity if you don't address the imminent threat of climate change which is insane i mean these are crazy ideas but what they've done is the that impulse that we have that we all have as human beings i think to do good and to fight against evil they've replaced what is good and evil in their minds and the left adopts a philosophy of moral relativity and collectivism so they sign on to these things they sign on to the battle against these these great evils in their minds that in some cases are entire just entirely irrelevant i mean it's it's a phantom but also makes them useful Saul Alinsky style for the mobilization against political opponents and in this case their political opponents are people like you and me in this audience who recognize that hamas are the bad guys and all this other all this other talk about oh but they're oppressed or look at history or it's gray or whatever no no at some point the guy who's breaking into a house to murder the whole family and steal everything they have is just the bad guy yeah i don't care how he grew up i don't care what was done to him 20 years ago i don't care about you know historical oppression or whatever he's just the bad guy and 
you want to help that homeowner defend himself and eliminate the threat for civilization. Yeah, and increasingly it seems to me, and we'll talk about this some in the third hour, the left focuses on things that are not actual crimes and treats them as moral, uh, morally indefensible, like this little kid uh, painting his face and going to a football game while refusing to condemn actual violence. And here's the reality. Everybody before us was not an imbecile, right? Um, part of, I think, conservatism in general is presuming that people who lived and died before you were not all total morons, that they did understand some of what it was to be human. But the entire precept of our criminal justice code, to your point, is that we rank violence and treat violent crimes differently. Murder in the first degree is different than uh, than jaywalking, uh, right? And the punishments for crimes should be commensurate with the quality and severity of those crimes. And we don't even we're not able to do that in this day and age. Younger people have lost that ability. Yeah, an, an understanding of of degree and severity is, I think, one of the most important things that you can have. As, as judgment, I mean, to be, to be able to be a person of judgment or a nation that can exercise judgment, you can understand that there are things that can be broadly similar, but there are critical distinctions within them. I give a perfect example. I mean, the Soviets, when they were running anti-U.S. propaganda, um, and don't even get me started on Oppenheimer again, that commie trash movie, but uh, when they're running, you know, propaganda, they would always talk about America, America's history of um, of slavery. You know, well, yeah. it's like, well, they're doing this in the 1960s, 1970s, 1980s. Why are they talking about America's history of slavery? And any time they would be pressed on an issue, they would revert. They, they same thing in Cuba. All the worst dictators, all the worst authoritarians, they will find those who actually stand for freedom and point out that they are imperfect and then say, so we don't have to. Ahmadinejad, you remember him? Yeah. Leader of Iran back in the day, invited to Columbia University in 2007. I'll never forget this. I was still at the CIA at the time. I was just reading about the newspapers. Ahmadinejad, president of Iran, shows up at Columbia University. And, you know, all those kids are there to hear about, oh, yeah, and like oppression and the Zionist entity. And we see what goes on on campuses. But they realize, hold on a second. When he was asked about gay people in his country and oppression of gays, you know what he said, right? We don't have any gay people. Oh yeah, I remember that. And 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 the, all of a sudden the left was like, "Oh, wait a wait a second, wait a second. Because he's an evil man representing an evil regime and his criticisms of the US are made in entirely bad faith." Very similar to what I see going on with Hamas and the Palestinian cause, by the way. All these people say, "Oh, you just want all the Palestinians to die." Anyone who says that on my Twitter mentions is a moron. I don't even engage with them. Because of course that's not true. And if Israel wanted every Palestinian to die in Gaza, you know what they could do? Exactly that. But they don't want to do that because they try to act with morality. China, to build on your analogy, in its most recent one of its most recent meetings with America, spent almost the entire uh, meeting in the public sphere arguing that America didn't have to be accepted uh, because of its legacy of racism. Yeah, I mean, this is what you, I mean, the, the Hamas-Israel thing, it'd be like if you sat down with somebody, Clay, who's a serial killer, and you're like, why'd you kill all those people? And he's like, Clay, why did you speed five years ago? You're a criminal, too. Yeah. Well, but that's not how morality works, folks, is it? But you look at the left, that's exactly what they're doing now with Israel and Palestine. And when is it terrorism when Israel responds? Uh, you know it when you see it. And what they're doing is a military campaign to destroy a terrorist entity that's a continuous threat to the Israeli people.
All right, 800-282-2882 on those lines. Give us a call. Let us know what you think. You know, one of the greatest joys you can give your family is the ability to relive precious memories. That happens with the help of Legacy Box, a company in Tennessee that's digitally transferring memories from old videotapes and films onto digital files. More than a million families have benefited from the technology and know-how that Legacy Box operates with. Every videotape you send to them is hand-transferred. The same thing is true with your old Super 8 film and photos as well. In a few short weeks from the time you send them your old memories on tape and film, they send you back those new digital files. They're the kind you watch on your phone, share with every family member, or upload to your computer. This is Cyber Week at Legacy Box, the one week of the year where their pricing discounts are bigger and better than at any other time, so take advantage of it. Visit LegacyBox.com slash buck for an unreal 65% off their regular prices. That's LegacyBox.com slash B-U-C-K for 65% off. Jack Armstrong, he's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Buck, you ever been to a WWF or a WWE wrestling event? Did you grow up a fan of Macho Man Randy Savage, of Hulk Hogan, Hacksaw Jim Druggan, Coco Beware, that era? That was, oh man, are you kidding? Ravishing Rick Rude? Yes, yes. Superfly Jimmy Snooker, although I know things took a very bad turn there. Um, uh... 
all, all those guys. The British Bulldog. I love Bulldogs, so that was exciting. Yeah, I did. I did grow up watching that. I was a huge Hulk Hogan fan. How many people do you think listening to us right now watched last night WWE Raw? I what mean, percentage small... of our audience? The overlap. Five or ten percent back. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's probably about right. Um, I was there last night with my kids. They did their show from uh, Nashville. It is so much fun. And I was watching, uh, I grew up like you did, a fan of wrestling. And also um, remember, you know, I didn't pay attention for a long time. And then my kids got really into it. So we went back through all the old wrestlers and everything else. I'm not sure anybody in entertainment is better for their fans than wrestling fan than wrestling and wrestling entertainers. They're like they are so good at the entertainment aspect of what they do. And obviously they're athletes and they have to be strong and uh and physically fit and all those things. But we had an incredible time uh at this event and it was family friendly it was it was fantastic and i was watching and i was thinking wrestling is it the only thing that has never really had any controversial uh you know scandal associated with it leaving aside like steroids and the weightlifting and all all those things right um but there are no storylines that pit people against each other in wrestling it's just good and bad right They have the good guy and the bad guy. Maybe back in the day you had like the Iron Sheik, stuff like that. But it's very like 1970s, 1980s pro-America. And what do you call the guy who's supposed to lose? I always felt bad for that guy. The heel. Oh, well. Oh, no, 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 the heel's, no, the, heel's bad the bad guy. guy. I mean the guy who just runs out there so Hulk Hogan can body slam him ten times. They don't even have very many of those guys anymore. They no, used to have people away. you didn't know. I, that I think was pretty much everybody's known. Originally, the way they built these guys up was there were the dudes who just went out there with, you know, um, uh, a, a mankini and, you know, and like the boots or whatever and, and would just get, get crushed, you know, just get over yes. and over again. And, you know, the guy, it would be like Hulk Hogan and it was, I was like, raw, it's amazing. He'd rip his t shirt and then they'd be like, and John from accounting. And this guy would like come running <laughs> yeah. out and he's got like, he's kind of pasty and yeah. looks like he hasn't worked out much and he just gets crushed. They don't really have as many of those guys anymore. I think they have pretty much, you know, both sides are bonafide and known by the audience at this point in time. Uh, but we also got to meet Jelly Roll. I know you have no idea who Jelly Roll is, Buck, but he is a famous country music singer now. He was fabulous to my kids. Just an awesome time. But I was actually curious how many of our listeners watch WWE. So if you do, hop in my mentions. His name is Jelly Roll? Jelly Roll. Wow. I mean, so I we feel have like a Jelly Roll, roll after songs. Thanksgiving, but... Yeah, well, he's got, he's, he's got a few LBs that he could lose. I think he would acknowledge that. Um, but he won a, a Best Album, Best New Artist, I think, award at the CMAs. And uh, is pretty well known at this point. Uh, but he was fantastic. Just an awesome night. We come back something that's not awesome. A kid getting ripped for not, something he didn't do. Play Travis and Buck Sexton. On the front lines of truth.
More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. 